my mom, very fear-based in her raising in the sense that if you wore a suit or you had a job, you were a crook or an asshole. And then watching what happened to my dad on the other side of it, right? So I internalize that. Well, if I have a job, I'm an asshole. My mom hates me and I'm not prepared to give up my mother's love. And then if I have a job like that, I'm probably end up going to kill myself anywhere, have a poor quality of life because all I'm trying to do is provide for everybody else. So in my subconscious in my body i beat the game i'm not gonna be able to have anything so no one can rely on me and that way i'm going to avoid both of those fates the only reason you're not experiencing the full levels of success that you want in your life is generally because there's a subconscious part of you that believes having the thing you think you want is a threat But it's subconscious. It's hidden to you. How do we identify and move beyond those internal blocks? This week, my buddy Mitchell Creasy is stopping by the Life Amplified podcast. He's going to give us the playbook he used to overcome that problem in his life so he could leave the blockbuster video and fulfill his life's purpose in the boardroom. Plus, he's going to share how you can unlock your future by rewriting your relationship to the past. Welcome back to Life Amplified. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. When we're not getting the results that we want in our life, we tend to have a hundred different stories that are all external to us. Well, it's because of the pandemic. It's because of the economy. It's because I don't have the time or the resources of the support. Yet the only real block that's standing between you and the life that you want is internal. And that's the benefit of having expert coaching is somebody who can help you hack into your subconscious and start to see those blind spots that have eluded you and kept you stuck for years. And as you'll discover this week on the podcast, even some of the great coaches need good coaches to help them bridge that gap between the past and their future. My buddy Mitchell Creasy is going to talk about his journey on that path. He's the president's coach. Mitch is an award-winning executive coach who helps business leaders actually enjoy what they've built. As he'll explain today, after seeing his father, the CFO of a publicly traded company, collapse from a work-induced panic attack, Mitch vowed to use the tools his hippie mother taught him to ensure that people like dad could skip the drama and go straight to the spoils. Mitch is an expert in ease. He works closely with leaders from banking to tech and has appeared on Canadian national television, reaching over 2 million households. Some of the topics we're going to cover in this conversation this week is how his parents' views and relationship with work caused him to overcorrect and lose his way. He'll tell us how he learned to trust himself and gain clarity on his life's purpose. He'll talk about the importance of asking empowering questions to discover your true path in life. Also, a brilliant conversation on why not knowing your next step is actually a privilege, and he's going to give us the three A's of moving forward. 
If you're loving the conversation, be sure to screenshot this, upload it to Instagram. Let us know that you're listening. You can tag Mitch at Coach Mitchell Creasy, and you can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Be sure to let us know your biggest takeaways. And don't forget, you can give us a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And we gladly accept those five-star ratings and reviews if you happen to be listening on Apple. This is a really good conversation. Mitch has got so much insight to offer to help you unlock your future by rewriting the past. Mitchell Creasy, welcome to Life Amplified, buddy. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It's so nice to be here. I got my glass of water and I am ready to go. I'm ready to dive in. Oh, it's hitting the hard stuff today. So let's talk about this. I think so often we look about where we are in life and we all reach a point, usually around middle age, where we realize, oh my God, I've become my parents or my parents were so dysfunctional in some aspect of their life that I've swung the pendulum entirely the other way. And maybe that's not healthy either. And we all have to find this point where we sort of just come back to the middle and find that balance, right? Differentiating from the mistakes or or, or the path our parents took and finding who we are. Uh, And that's a big part of your journey. Tell me about growing up uh, with your CFO dad. And, and all the lessons that you learned around that. Um, Diving into the, was, deep into the pool. Let's talk about dad shit today. Let's go. Let's fucking go. So um, first of all, I just have to start off by saying my, my parents are the most loving yeah. and supportive people. They will be listening to this. Hi, mom. Hi, dad. And you know what's funny? Uh, I, will, I will say, fast forwarding a little bit, they're both actively in support right now. They both have support. Uh, they believe in it, they invest in it on a regular basis. And they really are kind of like we're all doing really investing in moving deeper into their own unfoldment. So it's really, really nice to see. Amazing. But grow- I love that. Yeah. But growing up was, um, I always tell people for our older listeners, uh, my childhood was the real life manifestation of the CBS sitcom Dharma and Greg. So my dad, was the CFO of a publicly traded multimedia or multinational media company. And my mom was as much a hippie as you could be without actually being a hippie. And my sister and I were there in the middle and we were raised very much on universal law and natural practice before it was, it was a thing. So we didn't have a GP uh, or like a regular family doctor. We had a natural path and this was in the eighties and we used to drive, you know, once a quarter three hours out into the bush to go meet this natural path to get all of our stuff. And I always say, you know, I'm the only, I was the only kid in second grade eating hummus. And, and uh, I, you know, I didn't, and I didn't know that we didn't drink milk. I didn't know any of this was, was, uh, you know, a bit left of center at the time. You were gluten free before it was cool. That's right. That's right. And now, and now I'm making up for it. I've had pancakes every day for breakfast for the last like three years. (laughs) That's right. You take charge of your life, Mitchell. You do it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then on the other side, you know, my, my dad is an accountant by trade and a CFO of this company, and it's got lots of shit going on. And gradually, as I started to get older, I noticed his nine to five slowly becoming a five to nine. It was great. Like I, I played um, decently high level hockey and I, you know, I'm on the ice five times a week. And this guy is the most generous guy He would drive. We lived in the suburbs. And he would drive from downtown out to the suburbs in, in, in rush hour, put me in the car, drive back to the other side of the city, 
or I could play hockey for an hour and then he'd drive me home. And so like his 9 p.m. was a little bit a result of, of me playing sports, but still, sure. and this guy never stopped. He was so selfless and he was just always giving, 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 which I'm sure we'll get into is sometimes it's a good thing, but sometimes it's not a good thing. It has to come from the right place. So he's giving, giving, giving this way. And as I get older and I go into university now, it's at the point where I got a call from my mom. She said, your dad collapsed. So what? Now in my head, I'm thinking, what the fuck? Because, in, you know, everybody thinks their dad is, is the strongest, right? Like your dad's a superhero. And mom's Wonder Woman, by the way, when we're growing right. up. I mean, they're infallible. Absolutely. They're not human. My father, he's comes from very humble beginnings in East London. He's from the same part of London that Russell Brand and Michael Caine are from. It's the docks area. It's not very nice. You know, and, and he worked his way up to CFO of a, of a multinational public company. And so he's anyway, he's always had the gift of the gab. He talks really fast. He's hilarious. He's super charming. He's a world-class runner. He's done all the major marathons. He represented Canada as a do athlete. Like he's a good athlete. Very, wow. very good amateur athlete. Yeah. So to get this call that my dad collapsed in his office from a panic attack of all things, it was what? Like I just, I couldn't make sense of it. And so it came to that he was doctor ordered to stay 500 feet from his, uh, from the office for an entire year. And that summer, this happened in the spring and that summer, you know, we were at the cottage and, and this guy who's so quick witted and then always has all these funny things to say, he would just tell me about eight times a day that he had oatmeal for breakfast and that's kind of all he could muster. Wow. And so for me, yeah. And so for me as, as a, you know, I'm in my early twenties at this time, it really was the culmination of what happens when you continually put yourself last. And I didn't know it at the time, but it was, it had been modeled to me for years since he started. And you know, it's interesting now as an adult and the two of us um, sitting around as, as two men, just hashing it out. And, you know, he talks very much about it's the old school point of view it's the old school perspective of like every promotion you give me I interpret that is I have to work 10 times harder to keep this because if I don't everything goes away and I have now fucked my family so it's this inverse of natural law essentially where I continuously empty the tank empty the tank empty the tank for everybody else not knowing that all my relationships are crumbling sounds a bit dramatic but they, they didn't. My parents are still married to this day. They're, they're great. But um, you start to, the quality of your relationships diminishes drastically simply just because you're not there. You're just not present when you're, when you are there physically, mentally, you're, you're not. I appreciate so much of what you're sharing. And it parallels a, in many ways, a lot of the things I saw with my dad, with my own father, in terms of being a self-made man. He came from humble beginnings. You know, my grandfather was a war veteran who was just a foreman for International Harvester Tractor Plant. They were middle, you know, they were middle class, but working middle class. And watching my dad became that, who became that guy who just climbed every rung up the ladder. But Every rung required more energy and more travel and, you know, more stress to go with it. And my dad also did a good job of still being present. He was at all my theater productions or, you know, band stuff in high school. So he, he was there physically as a father, but emotionally, you could tell like there were just times he was he was on empty 
what was all this effect on you at an early age as you're watching it unfold? How did you interpret this? What did you learn about what it means to be a provider or to be a man or to be an employee in the world? At first, I rejected it. I tried to stay a child as long as possible. So as I moved into adulthood, I wouldn't let myself do anything beyond what a teenager would would do. I just, I wouldn't. In my head, anything that had to do with a job, anything that was corporate, I was terrified of. And it's, you know what, it's funny though, because on uh, consciously, that's where I was at. But unconsciously, I knew I was always going to be fine. I knew, I knew the level that I would eventually rise to simply because it, that level was ingrained in my nervous system. Like there, that's just kind of where you live at. You live at this level and that's, that's where you do. But consciously, I, I wouldn't let, like, I think I had a string of, of like part-time uniform jobs, like, like Blockbuster, for those who remember Blockbuster video, you know, I worked in restaurants. Uh, and then when I did transition into a corporate role, it was a temp summer gig in the mailroom. And then I got offers to go do other things. And I, I said, no, I found reasons to say no. And I know your, your, your theatrical background and, and myself too. Like I was always called to that world. And, and just as a, a, a bit of background, like when I was, you know, really early on, I did some acting and I was very, I was quite successful at it. And I had to choose between that and hockey and I chose hockey. And I think I chose hockey in, I mean, hindsight's 2020 and we know memory is very fallible. So we'll take this with the grain of salt that it might be. But in hindsight, I feel like I chose hockey very much so because I came from a hockey family. My parents, that's what we watched on Saturday night. We never had game night. We just had hockey night in Canada and that was our family time. So I think for approval, for love, for affection, I chose that. But when I did, what I really turned my back on was myself, the ability to speak, the ability to be seen, even though it was, I mean, it was easy for me. I could walk in and I could book a gig and it was great. And I, cause I didn't know anything different. I didn't know that it was, that it could be hard. I didn't know that people try, tried for years to get on. I didn't know that. I just did it. All of this to say when it came time for me to actually start looking at a career, to start moving in a direction that not only um, lit me up inside, but made sense to move forward. All I was really good on or good at at that point was turning my back on myself. Mm. So I went, I went in the direction that was the opposite of what I felt inside all the time. Because A, that's what was modeled to me. And as again, not blaming my parents at all, they did an incredible job with the tools they had. But what was modeled to me was this is what you want. Great, go fuck yourself. We're doing this because someone told us to, and that's the hand that feeds. So we're going over here. Because according to that model of reality with your parents, it's literally the only way to be successful or to support yourself. A hundred percent. And then the thing is, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because, you know, for mm. any of us, for your dad, for me, when I was in corporate, the higher you climb up the ladder, it just reinforces this belief. Well, I can only do this if I'm betraying myself. God knows nobody would find me valuable if I was just me. Right. And, and it's funny because when we, when we do that, as you know, we inevitably just 
cut ourselves off at the knees of our own essence, not knowing that it is our own essence that gets us everything we want. So it's really interesting when you have that modeled and you start doing it yourself. And then one day you wake up and go, oh my, what am I doing? Yeah. What was the cost to you then of, you know, you obviously made these interpretations. Being in a suit or being successful equals physical pain. I might draw, I might keel over one day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You adjust accordingly. You become the blockbuster video guy. What's the cost though? And when was the moment when you knew you had to turn it around? First of all, incredible question. Thank you for asking that. The cost, honestly, and I don't think I've ever said this out loud to another human being, the cost was about 10, 12 years of my adult life, truthfully, Mm -hmm. missing and and not and like, and again, it took a while to realize that but missing out on experiences, not necessarily in terms of being in a corporate office and like missing out on like the experience of meeting deadlines and staying late at work. But missing out on those those moments we all take for granted as a result of, you know, a, a, a steady five or six income paycheck. You don't get a, your first apartment when everybody else is getting their first apartment. You don't know what it's like to go suit shopping. All You don't go on an annual vacation because you're just trying to make ends meet. And while it's it's sad, and it's a story that it's very easy to buy into. Like, this is the life that was dealt to me. No, it's not. It's the life you chose. I chose that life. And I didn't know at the time, but I was actively choosing to live this, this life that wasn't in line with who I was or what I knew I could be or what I wanted to do. And the, the cost was, was 10 plus years of not being able to live at a high vibration to be able to participate actively in society at the level I wanted to, not being able to give back um, because you're, you're literally just living on that straight needs basis at that point, right? I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get by. And here's the thing, when we make a decision, albeit consciously or unconsciously, in particularly in this regard, we don't do it from a place, or at least I didn't do it from a place of detrimentally trying to hurt myself. So I was never, and this is what's even more upsetting. I wasn't even upset that this was the life I was living. So there was, was no cost to your like self-esteem or anything no, at that point. You just blissfully no. going on and, and, and you got it. Yeah. I thought, I thought I'd beaten the game somehow. (laughs) Like there was a part of it goes like, fuck it. And this was, and it was was ultimately self-protection. No one can rely on me because I literally am just giving myself exactly the number I need to not die. So no one can climb on top of me. I can't have any responsibility I I can't have a relationship at a high level. I can't have kids. I can't have a mortgage. I can't pay rent. I'm going to live with people I like to live with and I'm going to be okay with it because that way I know I'm not going to die. No one's going to hate me, right? Like uh, before we press record, 
Like my mom, very fear-based in her raising in the sense that if you wore a suit or you had a job, you were a crook or an asshole. And then watching what happened to my dad on the other side of it, right? So I internalize that. Well, if I have a job, I'm an asshole. My mom hates me and I'm not prepared to give up my mother's love. And then if I have a job like that, I'm probably end up gonna kill myself anywhere, have a poor quality of life because all I'm trying to do is provide for everybody else. So in my subconscious in my body, I beat the game. I'm not going to be able to have anything. So no one can rely on me. And that way I'm going to avoid both of those fates. It's such an important point that you bring up because for anybody who is listening today, who might relate to this story, or they're not allowing themselves to thrive at that next level, most people get caught up in self-judgment about it right? I'm not good enough. I'm not really worthy of this. I'm not capable. Hey, those successful people have some different DNA than I do. But what you're really hitting on is that every every behavior, every life results, every, every pattern that we fall into, even the ones that might be maladaptive and not move us forward, it's all in service of survival at a subconscious mm-hmm. level. And mm-hmm. But we don't actually spot those things on our own because it's subconscious. So what was the mechanism? What helped you turn the corner? And what was the wake-up call for you that you were able to connect these dots? As I said, we never really played in the the regular medical system, if you will. We rose a little bit outside of that. So when I was... And, you know, I think I was 18. It was kind of all in one, but I I had my, uh, she was my coach. I just called her my coach. She's my coach. She was an energy healer and a kind of a therapist. And like that, I would go see her like once a month. And I did that for like 12 years. Mm. And uh, that was my, my mom was like, go see this woman. This is what you're doing now. It's like, okay, I'll do that. Um, And so I did. And she's, she was just the most wonderful person. And um, it was through her that I, I, she really started to move me back. And then again, this is the power of support, right? She really started to move me back and provide that voice that existed outside of the paradigms of if you wear a suit, you're a crook. And if you have a job, you know, get ready for adulthood because everyone's going to depend on you. And she, she provided that, uh, as Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock would say, which is one of my favorite shows, it's that third kind of heat, <laughs> um, right? And uh, so she, she really offered that new perspective of, hey, it's safe to trust yourself. Um, you've been given things for a reason and you need to use them. And the reason you don't have shit all is because you're not using it, right? So it comes down to the law of receiving, give, and that, give freely and receive freely. I was not giving anything, so I was not receiving anything right? I had no idea. So slowly, 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 as we, as we go along, I get to the point where she says, okay, um, I think it's time for you to do a course in miracles now. And I'm like, oh, okay. What's that? She's like, it's, it's a, it is literally a 365 day course in uh, creating miracles in your life and miracles as you, as you've read the book is a correction in perception. I went and I said, okay. And I did. And I kind of put my life on hold for a year and I made this, you know, I was still working my, my part-time job, but I still made this my focus for the year. 
I remember I finished it and it, maybe it was even a year or so after this. And I, I made huge strides in that year. Like it really, I met my, my partner who, um, you know, we we've been together for like 11 years now and, and next month we're due with our first child. So, oh, wow. I mean, Congratulations. thank you. Thank you. So, uh, I made huge strides in that year and, um, it, it was probably a year, year and a half after that. And I remember I was in this phase now where she had told me, she's like, I just want you to ask yourself every day as often as feels right to you, what am I here for? And you're asking, you're posing that question to your higher self. You're posing that question to God, to the universe. What am I here for? And so I, for about six months, I asked that question three to five times a day. What am I here for? And it was this one August day and I went outside to take a nap and I laid down and I was under this tree and I, sh I shut my eyes and, you know, just a normal day, no thought of anything. I shut my eyes. And as soon as I did it, it honestly was like the sun punched me in the face and all I heard clear as day, one straight shot, you are here to help people like dad by using what mom taught you. Wow. And as soon as that clicked, I went, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course, that's why I'm here. It went from there. It was, uh, I, you know, I, I think the next month I started my business and don't get it, don't get it twisted because I know, you know, a lot of people listening to this and particularly in um, the support community, there's very much this belief of like, oh, I made this one switch. And literally three minutes later, a million dollars showed up in my bank account. <laughs> Um, yeah. So don't, don't, yeah, right. Don't get it twisted. That did not happen. <laughs> it was clarity. And with that clarity came peace. And with that peace came space to create and to start giving and just, okay, so here, here's what I actually have to give. And that started to really start to shape my offering. And at this point, I have to be honest with you at this point, it's again, it's not like that came and I didn't have any doubt around it. I didn't have any fear. I had so much fear because now I'm receiving this download that says, essentially go to dad's office and speak like mom, which in my head is suicide. Like what? You, you want me to walk into a publicly traded company and start talking about God energy and universal intelligence and natural law? And of course, what? in miracles, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Like, are you fucking high? Not a chance. <laughs> like, that's not, not a chance. So uh, it, it was, it, and honestly, that took me three years, maybe three or four years to get over it. And uh, like, and it's only recent where I really started to allow myself to do that. It was only through trial and error because I tell you the first, the first client I ever had like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I mean, thank God they put their trust in me. And it was this company. And like, they're like, okay, we're going to have the entire executive team sit with you once a week. And you're going to help them for a, an hour or two. And we're going to do this for 12 weeks. And I was like, or they, how long does this last? I'm like, I don't know, 12 weeks. They're like, okay, great. <laughs> like, totally, <laughs> totally making it up. Like, I have no idea. I've never done this before. But it comes back to you, you have the information you need in the moment, and it's our job to trust it. And I always liken it to, you know, in the movies where they step out and the bridge comes underneath each foot as with every step you take. 
it's kind of like one of those moments. What I love that you shared there is, you know, the, the power of clarity. And that's the biggest thing. I think when people are stuck and they come to coaches like, you know, us, they're in that place of not knowing or not trusting it. But I love the fact that you were asking empowering questions. They stay stuck because they're asking horrible questions. Why does nothing work out for me? Why am I not good enough? Why don't people see my value? And what you were really focusing on is is the outcome that you wanted. You know, how can I serve? What is it that's trying to come through me to offer the world? And I've always heard like Michael Bernard Beckwith talk about this idea that the universe will always answer whatever you're asking. The issue is most people just ask terrible questions. <laughs> so I love the fact that you were super that you were super clear on that. And also the other thing that I, I hear you sharing that I love, you know, people think that they need the perfect plan as they step in. I just did a podcast mm-hmm. episode about monetizing your purpose. People think that they need all the answers up front. And I jokingly referred to this in a, in a clubhouse room that I was moderating recently, where people are like, but Dan, how do I know what to charge? How do I know what to offer? And I was like, we're going to talk about some high level, Harvard master's level marketing info. They're like, yeah, tell me more. What is it? I'm like, have you ever heard of the MSU method? Oh, no, MSU method. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, what is it? Make shit up. <laughs> uh, that's what it is. I mean, I remember the first is. time somebody ever came to me, they're like, well, do you do six-month coaching packages? I feel like I need sure. more work. And I'm like, part of me wanted to blurt out, well, no, I don't offer that. And then I'm like, not, uh, 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 of course I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. How much is that? And then I just like yeah. sort of like spit out a, a number off the top of my yeah. head and they signed up. Right. You don't have to have all the answers beforehand. And I love the no. fact that you're just in the act of being courageous as you move as you move into this and allowing yourself to not know and to figure it out as you go along. I love that too about not knowing. And and there I, I've I mean I've said this to so many clients in the past, but not knowing is a privilege because it means there is something just beyond your field of vision. There's something just beyond your scope. You know it's there, but in the space that your consciousness occupies right now, the answer is not in there, which means it is bigger than something you presently know. And that to me is the most exciting thing. So when I don't know something, that to me, I interpret that is there is something so much better on the way that I can't even conceive of yet. And my job is, uh, is just literally to say yes to the next best yes to get to the point where that information can come in. Mm, I love that. So one of the things you wanted to share with us today, you have the three A's of moving forward. So for that person who might be either repeating some old family patterns or they've swung the other way and gone the opposite direction. Uh, You've got three tips today that will help them sort of find their center and take the next step in front of them. So why don't you, why don't you share those with us today? So the three A's are admitting, allowing, and acting. And so the first thing we always want to do is we want to meet ourselves where we are. It doesn't help, as you said earlier, judging ourselves and being hard on ourselves does not speed the process up at all. And you have to remember that your present is simply a manifestation of past held beliefs. 
That's all it is. So it's not, it's not permanent. It's not fixed. It's just literally the physical manifestation and realization of something you, you modeled or interpreted or believed in the past. That's so important. when I, I want to stop, that is such yeah. an important point. And I want that, I want to give that a moment for some land for somebody. So many people look at the present circumstances, the number on their bank account, the state of their relationship, the number on the scale, if it's a health issue, and they interpret that is this is evidence of what's possible for me or as far as I can go or what I deserve. What you're sharing here beautifully is all that is, it's a physical manifestation of the beliefs you've had up until this point. Yeah, absolutely. And if we change it, once we do the work to change the belief, we can change the outcome and move into expansion. And there's so many examples. And like even people listen to this, and maybe you're hearing a lot of these concepts for the first time. And, you, you know, it's, it's a bit, whoa, it's a bit, uh, you know, blows the hair back a little bit. I, I challenge you to think of times in your life, because I guarantee you it's happened, where something has shown up that was previously outside of your scope and it, in a very good way. And if you think back to a month, a week, two months, maybe even a year prior Something, something happened where a, 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 someone, you had a new thought, you, you started doing something differently, you started feeling a little bit differently about yourself or about your life. And that one little change, that one little notch up was the catalyst for that thing that came, came into your life a week, a month, two months la- uh, later, that really you're holding as, as a catalyst moment in your progression. Love that. So to go back, to circle back, we talked yeah. about the first A, which was yeah. to admit, right? right. So we just want to be honest with ourselves. Speak so a little I, bit I, more I, about allowing. So now I want to allow. When I meet myself where I am, inevitably, it's going to bring with it a whole host of emotions. Those initial stories brought on by the ego to insulate us where we are for the purpose of safety, that will say, oh my God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pissed off. I'm so sad. Um, um, you know, I'm angry, I'm, I feel guilty, shameful, whatever, all of these, all of these, these feelings we may have, we don't want to engage with them, we want to allow them, allow them to be there, they are, it's called an emotional reaction for a reason, it's just this, it's a rash, it's an internal rash, it comes up, it will rise up, you look at it, and you go, wow, okay, there that is, interesting, that's it, it's all we need from you. And just, for most just, people, for most people, they feel the unpleasant emotion, the anger, the sadness, the resentment, and they just try to judge themselves for it or push it down, which mm-hmm. ends up just building up more internal pressure, right? It's hard to move right. through it if you're not allowing. Or we start, yeah, or we start blaming other people around us. We'll assign a story to it. And usually the stories we assign to it are going to be socially acceptable stories. So like, oh, my fucking boss. Uh, you know, they're, you know, that, that person in HR is trying to get me down. They're not letting me get that promotion. Mm-hmm. We'll start pushing it outward. And because again, everyone around us is going to go, Oh yeah, I hear you. That's a real story. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. had that happen to me too. So we get that safe. We get, we get that sense of safety in our social support simply from allowing or attaching a story to latch onto that emotion. But when we allow it, 
and we don't need that story. We can, we can recognize, we can let the stories come, but if we allow them to come, we will allow them to go. We don't have to hold on to it. And what inevitably happens is that emotion, it moves on. And when it moves on, what we get from it is space. And in that space comes inspired action because mm -hmm. now what we've done is we've created room to receive something that inevitably leads us forward. And all our job is from that point is to act on it. For sure. So admit, allow, and then action on the back you end. You got it. Love that. Love the story. I think one other thing that would be interesting that you alluded to at the beginning of this that I think would be a nice sort of bow on it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your dad sort of going from the guy who was, you know, the, the crush it guy, the hustle and grind mm -hmm. guy to mm -hmm. being the guy who was like sort of lost, you know, on this mandated doctor issued restriction from work who only knew to talk about the oatmeal that he was eating <laughs> for breakfast. But you also mentioned that your dad through this process is done his own deeper work. Talk a little bit about that. What in, because so many of, especially with our parents, they just, many times they stay stuck. They think, you know, they're in a fixed mindset, not a growth mindset what was it that created the space for your father to seek out help and maybe embrace some of this wisdom that mom had already known about and what's been the results in the family because of, of doing that work? Beautiful questions. So I don't know if it was again, doctored ordered that he see a, a psychiatrist or if he just volunteered to do that. But when he, excuse me, when he did collapse, he did go into therapy. And he was in therapy for the entire year. And it really allowed him to, to process what had happened. So, so he, he went through therapy and he ended up getting another job. And I mean, he's still working. He's still a CFO. He's a CFO of um, a venture capitalist fund today, oh. to this day. So he, 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 found other, he found another job and I think, uh, with another company. He's had two or three companies since. But that's a part of the narrative that I left out. And it was always until my mom started her healing journey as well. As a family, we left out, there was very much a victim mentality of, you know, I went real hard and I collapsed and then we lost. Oh, done. Mm -hmm. End of story. It was only, I mean, and it's recent, like within the last year where it clicked in my head, wait a second, that's not the end of the story. <laughs> this guy went through therapy and he got himself another job. 20 years later, he's still working at the same level. One, because he gave himself the support to be able to process and not carry with him what he went through. And B, because he, by the time his collapse happened, he had already imprinted on his consciousness, on his nervous system, that CFO was the level that he operated in or on within this world. So it's not like he was going to go get a job, you know, um, scanning groceries, not there's anything wrong with that job at all. But that job just didn't align with him because in his nervous system, that's where he operated at. That was it. So when, and it was neat because when I added that piece back into our family story, it all of a sudden became a completely different tale. And now all mm. of a sudden we were part of a completely different narrative where we went from victim to victor. 
it doesn't matter what's in front of us because we're going to end up at the level we know we should be at. And then on the other side, on my mom, with my mom, um, again, when you're dealing with fear, and it's not just my mom, it's all of us, right? Like we all have fears buried deep that we're, you know, when we're ready to see, they will come up and it's on us to look at them. But when you're dealing with a very fear-based consciousness, one of the things we see often is this, um, this know-it-all syndrome. If I know it all, then I can't know anything. Therefore, I cannot be hurt by that which I do not know. So for my mom to move into a place of, of getting support, what that has allowed her to, where, she, where she's at now, is letting go of this fallacy of I know everything to, like we, like we uh, talked about earlier, the pleasures of not knowing. Mm. And what's happened in the family is this pressure of, I don't want to say perfection, but just like this, this, this tension of things have to be right has just gone away. And there's this, when you go over to their house and my sister and I will go there and we sit, there's really this sense of it is what it is and what it is is great. Love that. Amazing when you can get everybody in the family doing the work at once. And what a powerful example for everybody listening today of what's possible. Mitchell, awesome conversation today. Where can people find you online, my friend? MitchellCreasy.com is my website. Mitch at MitchellCreasy.com is the email. At Coach Mitchell Creasy on the gram is where you will find me mostly. Uh, Also on LinkedIn, but mostly on the gram. And uh, you can join me on Friday mornings live at 11 a.m. for Five Question Friday uh, at Coach Mitchell Creasy, where I just do a live Q&A for anything you want to talk about. Awesome. Incredible conversation. Uh, So much value in here for our listeners. Thank you for the time today. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was a blast. If you love that conversation, be sure to screenshot the podcast, upload it to your Instagram stories, and tag us both. You can find Mitch at Coach Mitchell Creasy on the gram, and you can tag me at CSC Dan Mason. And that idea of overcompensating as to not repeat the mistakes of your parents is so relevant in my coaching practice right now. I'm working with one person, very successful executive. His dad was terrible with money growing up. It caused a lot of drama in his parents' marriage. And, you know, his overcorrection was to become so focused on earning money and so focused on being successful that... He just lost all sense of boundaries. He was working himself into the ground. So if you're that person, whether you're just lost and you're looking to reinvent for your second chapter, or you've created all the success, but it doesn't feel good to you, I've got coaching programs that can help you move forward. If you'd like to find out more on how we can work together to create your next level of success and fulfillment, you can go to my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. I've got group programs. I've got one-on-one programs. It would be my honor to serve you. Thank you so much for spending a few minutes with the podcast this week. It means the world to me. Don't forget, give us a follow on the iHeartRadio app or click subscribe and leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple. And until next time, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.